All right, Psalm uh, 43, are you there? You there? You plenty of time, good. Well, uh, anybody in here ever owned a mood ring? Anybody? You owned a mood ring? You are so cool. You know it. You know it, right? I don't know where you bought it, and I won't even go there, but um, it was a fad of the 1970s, the mood ring. You could even get some mood jewelry. kind of lingers a little bit today. It comes in and out with phases. I remember when I was in, in middle school, there was a like a year that mood rings kind of was hip just for a, like a fraction of a second, you know. And uh, mood rings were these rings that you would put on your, on your finger and it would, you know, it could change color. And supposedly as it changed color, it would show you, you know, what your mood was. And so I, uh, I looked up online some of the different colors and what they represented. And so this will be good for you. This is deep stuff here. Uh, violet blue, happy and romantic, right? So I don't know what that means. Um, blue means you're calm and you're relaxed. Uh, when the, the liquid crystals swirl around and land on green, just means eh, not much is happening and you're like, you're, just, you're cool, all things are good. Uh, when, it, when it lands on uh, brown and, and gray, it means, it means you're anxious or uh, excited, uh, nervous. Uh, when it turns to black, it means you're a cold-hearted snake, right? Now, black means it's broken. It, it made a point to say that. So it was like they're fail-proof. Like, if, it, if it's black, it's broken, throw it away and, and come buy a new one and... and keeps the cash machine running, you know what I mean? So uh, yeah, those were the, the mood rings, and uh, obviously there's no way that a ring could accurately determine uh, the mood that you were in or anything about your emotional state, uh, but it was a fun fad, I suppose, for some people. Uh, it obviously could determine your, uh, your external body temperature, but that's probably about it. You know, you'd be sitting uh, maybe inside, and it was nice and, and cool, and, and it would say that you were therefore anxious, but then you go outside, and it's nice and warm, like right now in the summer, and suddenly you move from anxious to, to happy. You know, I don't know, but that's how mood rings work. You're not moody if that's happening, right? You're not like moody. You bought a, a cheap piece of jewelry that was kind of goofy and fun. But do, seriously, do we have any moody people among us? No, nobody raise your hand. Really, I was just joking. Don't raise your hand. Um, and some of you are probably like nudging your spouse or, you know, don't point or anything like that. But I would imagine, you know, moodiness is is a mark of all of us sometimes. I'll say it's a mark of me for sure. But seriously... Would you maybe consider yourself ever spiritually moody? Think about that for a second. If you think about your own, just your, your own walk with the Lord, your, your, own, you know, your, your disposition towards Him and where you're at in Him, you ever consider yourself uh, spiritually moody? And what I mean is maybe there are times when you feel just so close to God, but then it seems like it can just quickly, you move from so close to God to what happened, and now I'm so distant from God, and it feels like it just goes there quick. Or maybe you, you've been at a place where you have great faith in God, and God can do all things, and you're just such tremendous faith, you're trusting in Him to, to maybe quickly moving towards this place of just struggling with confidence of, you know, God, are you even, you even there right now? Some of us will, will feel those emotions kind of overlapping at the same time, like, God, I know you're there, but are you there? And you know what I'm talking about? I think we can, we can kind of be spiritually moody, and, and a lot of times it'll change from year to year, or even month to month, or week to week, or day to day, or sometimes even you know, hour to hour. I mean, we can wake up in the morning and just be like ready to roll and get in the Bible and just have great faith, and God's going to do great things. And all it takes is somebody to say something to you that just kind of nudges you a little bit, and you're like, where are you, God? You ever feel that way, spiritually uh, moody? Um, I, you know, I want to suggest that, that Christians can kind of go through this, this range uh, of emotion 
Uh, some people, obviously, more than others, and you don't have to name or anybody, but I'm sure you're thinking of somebody who's a little bit emotional. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean that you're, you're not authentic in your faith. What it might mean is that you're human, right? That we're, we're emotional beings. We were made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis chapter 1, 26 says. And we can read through the Bible and see that God emotes, that there's times where we see God's wrath and he's angered with a righteous anger. There's times when God is moved with compassion and, and love and all of these, these, uh, these vast array of, of emotion. And so if we're made in his image and likeness, we're emotional beings and it can be a really good thing or it can also uh, be a really bad thing um, depending on how we respond. And so our, our emotions are often uncontrollable. Maybe you can kind of feel that. You get that, like something just happens and this wave of emotion comes over you. Our emotions are often uncontrollable. But how we respond to the emotion when it hits us is, is really, uh, it is controllable. And it's one of the things I love about the Psalms is that they're just so raw. Maybe you've noticed that as we've been going through them. They're just so, they're just so uh, raw. And we can see God's people and how they interact and some really, really, tense uh, circumstances, and, and we just can kind of feel the emotion. And so in, in this particular instance here in Psalm 43, it, it really is just a great kind of case study for us on uh, moody in the, the faith. And, and so it's just five verses, but it, for us it's a really powerful example to how we can respond in our midst of uh, a tendency to be spiritually moody. And so let's look at Psalm 43, and, and I want to look at uh, the, just Start by reading the first five verses. And so let's read them together. It says, Vindicate me, God, O my God, and and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Into your dwelling. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is our psalm for tonight. Uh, In verse 2, verse 1 and 2, we learn about what's going on with the psalmist here. Um, you might want to note that uh, verse, or chapter 42 is, is also connected to chapter 43. Those two together can be one song, probably were one song. They, they share some refrains, but we're going to take 43 as uh, a song in and of itself tonight, and I think we're, uh, we're right in doing that as, as well. But in the first two verses of Psalm 43, we learn a little bit about what's going on uh, with this guy. And, and, and Throughout this study of the Psalms, uh, one thing I want us to do is is not just to kind of unpack a Psalm for you and say, there it is, there's the truth, but I want to maybe equip you a little bit as to how to read the Psalms for yourself. We're obviously not going to go through all 150 in the course of the summer. And so uh, let me help you a little bit in in how to read the Psalms. One thing you need to note is that in in reading the Psalms, there's there's a couple things we need to do in order to get the most out of the psalm, so we can just really squeeze all the good juice out of it. One thing we want to do is imagine, and then the other thing we want to do is immerse. Now, let me break that down a little bit. We need to imagine. In other words, we need to imagine the, the kinds of situation 
uh, that the author might be in that would evoke the kinds of emotion and, and declarations about God that, that he's saying or singing in, in, in the psalm. We need to imagine uh, what kind of situation he uh, might be in. Because the, the psalms, a lot of times as we read through them, we'll, we'll get the emotion, we, we see that, but oftentimes we get very little backstory. And so it's important to maybe just kind of try to picture, like, what, what would squeeze out of this guy uh, this kind of emotion? And so we imagine, with the help of the text, uh, what has been happening to lead to some of these words. Has he been hurt physically or maybe just emotionally? Is he um, alone emotionally or physically? Um, is he overcome with joy? Is he overcome with sorrow? Uh, is he overcome with confusion? What's going on? Imagine, uh, with the help of the text, what is, is going on uh, with our author or any author in, in the psalm. Try to imagine it. Try to picture it. And then what kind of situations would cause him to ask these unique questions that uh, come out in different songs? And what, what kind of situations might cause these words to come out of his mouth? Um, and, and, and what maybe would his enemies have done that would cause him to say something so boldly uh, throughout the psalm? So imagine those things. The next thing we want to do through our psalms is not just imagine, but then we want to immerse. We want to move from imagine to immerse, and so we want to immerse ourselves um, into the situation of, of the psalmist. And so for you, when you read a psalm, maybe you can put yourself in that situation, and you're in a similar uh, situation. Or, or chances are that maybe someday you will be in a situation similar to the psalm, whatever psalm uh, you're reading. And so we should immerse ourselves in it and, and, and seek to learn from the way a psalmist will respond. And so here in Psalm 43, 1 and 2, we can do that. We can imagine with the help of the text. We can then immerse, and then we can learn how to uh, appropriately respond to the Lord. So in verse 1, we learn about the situation a little bit. And then in verse 2, what we learn is we learn kind of the state of his soul. So let's start by just looking verse 1. Look at the, the situation. Here's what we know. We know that he's in a challenging uh, situation. He is being oppressed by his enemies, whoever they are. We know that his enemies are being deceitful, right? They're sneaky. They're telling lies. We know that his enemies are unjust. So it could be politically. It could be spiritually. It could be personally against him. It could be all of these things, but we know that he's hurting. Um, so we've imagined a little bit, and now we get, have to immerse ourselves in it and, and, and start to think about who are my enemies, right? Immerse yourself in it. Who are, who are your enemies in, in, in your life? Is it a, a person who is oppressing you? Maybe they're being deceitful towards you or telling lies about you or being unfair, unjust with regards to your situation. Your enemy could be a disease that you're facing or someone in your family is facing. Your enemy could be some kind of emotional hurt that you just have. It's just deep-rooted in your life. Uh, because of one of many possibilities uh, that, that has taken place in your life, is that death is our enemy. It's the final enemy, Scripture tells us, that, that the Lord will uh, destroy. Is it the threat of job loss is an enemy for you? Is it the threat of financial ruin? Is it the threat of, of relational um, issues going on? Is it a natural disaster? We're so comfortable here where we're at, but... They're happening all over the world and more and more and more as the Bible predicts. Labor pains get closer and closer together. Uh, is it a sin struggle? Right? What is, what is your enemy? 
Um, and, and we have different enemies throughout the course of our lives. But what we need to do is, is imagine and then immerse and put ourselves right in that position and kind of replace the psalmist with ourselves so that we can learn how to respond appropriately as we read uh, the Psalms. And we can learn here in this particular instance under his example. And it's important to learn from the example of, of the scriptures. Um, I know that in our culture we just have some, some terrible, terrible examples of how to respond against our enemies. Carrie Underwood says, here's what you do. You take your key and you dig it into the side of his pretty little souped up four-wheel drive, right? You know that? Uh, reality television will say, vote him off the island or vote him out of the house. We can't do that in life, can we? We can't just say, Get it. We're, you're, I'm done with you. No, we have family. We have issues that come up, right? And so reality television in that regard gives us kind of a bad example as to what to do with people who have wronged us. Uh, politics will say, uh, smear their name, right, so that all will, will see. But, but instead, what we should be doing is first saying, you know, what, what would the Lord have me to do? And what are some examples that he's given me in Scripture that I might be able to, uh, to follow um, to respond uh, appropriately? And so we've got this situation here uh, that he's in, and maybe we've immersed ourselves in it, and you can say, okay, I have some enemies, and, and, and I can relate with that a little bit. Maybe some of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture to say maybe many of us can relate with not just his situation, but even more so relate with the state of his soul. Look at verse, look at verse 2. I want to read verse 2 again. He says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So I told you this is the... This is kind of a case study of a spiritually moody psalmist. And I mean that with no disrespect whatsoever, uh, because this is all of us at some season in life that we can be kind of spiritually uh, moody. You ever there? You're spiritually uh, moody? Look at, look at that first line of verse 2. He says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. It's like great, powerful declaration. You are the God in whom I take refuge. I trust in you. You're awesome. You're faithful. But then the, the next part of the sentence why have you rejected me? Like in the, same, in the same sentence. You are right here, God. I trust you. I take refuge in, in you. God, where are you? Can you relate with that at all in your life? Like he's right here. I feel his presence. And then like an hour later, God, where are you? Or maybe even in the same moment, you have this deep-rooted understanding. No, he's God. And you're fighting in your mind. You're wrestling. I know he's there. I've seen him move. But are you there, God? And you kind of are a little bit moody in, in, in your walk, and you wrestle a little bit. And it kind of sounds like that, that saying, like, so close but so far away. You ever feel that way with God? Like, yeah, I know he's close, but sometimes at the same he's so far away, right? The, the psalmist seems to have what I want to call tonight a, a split soul. He's, he's got a split soul, and we use that word soul because down in, in verse 5, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? So in one part, we have his soul's downcast and struggling. and like, What's going on? Where are you, God? Man, it is so hard right now. But in the other breath, he, he's saying, God, you, you, are, you are right here. I take refuge in you. I know it. I deeply know that you're here. But are you here? Where are you? I feel like you've rejected me. I'm cast down. And then he goes on to the second half of verse 5, hoping God. He's got a, kind of seems like a, a split Soul, you ever been there? I trust you, God. Where are you? I deeply believe in you, but at the same time, I have doubts. 
I'm confident that you're going to be victorious. But are you going to really win this battle that I'm in the middle of and feel a little bit divided? And for that very same reason, David says in Psalm 86, verse 11, he says, O Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. Because he knows that his heart is divided. Like, God, I don't, I don't know. This is hard. But God, I've seen you pull through time and time again. He says, God, unite my heart so that I can fear your name. I can have that, that, that fear and that revere and that trust that you are awesome and you are in control and you've got this covered. Unite my heart to fear your name. There's some other examples in the scriptures of, of split souls. Uh, you can think about in Matthew chapter 14, 29 through 30. You know the story. Peter's walking on water. I mean, it's just incredible. He's, he has great faith in Jesus and he's walking towards Jesus. But then in the next second... The wind comes, and and what happens? He begins to sink and cries out, Lord, save me. It's like the same instance. I'm walking in water. Lord, save me, right? It's crazy. It's an example of of kind of a split soul, faith yet a lack of faith, kind of in the same instance. In in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, the father um, says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. You understand that? that? That can be us. I believe, but there are areas where I need to exercise greater faith. I need to, I need to trust you more. Help my unbelief, Lord. And then in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So God, I have great intentions, but I fail to live them out. It's kind of this split soul. And I think many of us can be there many times in our lives. Many of us maybe have been there, many of, us, many of us are here right now, or probably all be there at some point. And so what I want to do for the, just the last little while is just kind of look at how the psalmist uh, responds um, to his split soul that he has. And these last three verses will give us his response, uh, and therefore an example for us of what our response uh, can be, along with some great, great theological truths here. So let's look at his response uh, to his split soul. And uh, I just want to give you two, kind of just two points from the scriptures here. His response is twofold. And the first one is this, press into God. Press into God. Like when you know he's there, but is he there? Like when you know he's faithful, but is he going to be faithful? When you're there, you press into God because here's the tendency Christians will do one of two things. They will either run to God or they will run away from God when things get very tough. I feel like I can predict it time and time again. Lord, what's going to happen? Please, may he run to you and not run from you in the midst of his his mother dying, in the midst of his friend having cancer, in the midst of job loss, in the midst of economic ruin. Lord, may he run to you and not away from you. Lord, may he believe the truth and not a lie. And so we have to press into God, according to verses 3 and, and, and 4 is his example. Now, uh, I, I could have called this point, instead of press into God, I could have said pray to God, but I kind of want to make a little bit of a distinction. If you look back at verse 1, he is praying to God. Look at verse 1. He prays, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against uh, an, an ungodly people. So this is the obvious thing to do. Sometimes we try to go too deep and too spiritual with things and just fail to do the obvious thing to do. Like the obvious thing to do here first is pray, God, you can end this. Would you end this? 
Like sometimes I, I wonder if, if I'm, I try to over-spiritualize things too much that I don't get the things that God would have given if I would have only asked. And so the obvious thing, and he's doing it, is God, you can end this. Defend my cause. Vindicate me against this ungodly people in the hurt, in the confusion, in the injustice. He, he prays that and he continues to pray that and so should we. But the reason I didn't call it... Uh, Pray to God is because I want to make a distinction. There's a little, little bit more that we're not just praying to God and this, but we're actually pressing into God and going deeper and deeper and deeper, running to him, not away from him, in the midst of um, our confusion and our spiritual moodiness. And in this particular uh, instance, uh, ending his issue now is, is not God's plan. A lot of times he wants to end the pain. We know that he's going to end death. It's the last enemy that he will defeat, but not now. We're still facing uh, death physically. And so not now is, is, is God's answer. And so what he has to do is he has to keep praying that and this, but he also has to continue to press in to God. And, and this is challenging to do, isn't it? It is so challenging to press in and go deeper and draw near to the Lord when your emotions are just all over the place. This is something that we as Christians will have to battle. I think a lot of Christians think that, you know what, when I come to Jesus, my emotions are just going to be full on after Jesus nonstop. I'm, I'm going to wake up every morning and just feel like opening my Bible and praying at five in the morning till seven before I catch my train downtown. That's how I'm going to feel. It's, no, we are an emotional being. We are physical beings. We're going to get tired physically. We're going to get tired emotionally. We're going to feel that and those emotions or what the Apostle Paul calls our, our tent is going to pull us in a different direction. That's why we are made new creatures. We're given a new spirit when we come to faith in Jesus. But we're still inside of our tent, our, our flesh, Paul says. And what's a tent? A tent is a place that you're just at for a temporary period. Just a couple weekends ago, we did a little camp out in my backyard, which is kind of funny because... Um, it's like gravel. I don't even have a backyard, really. It's just kind of gravel. And I have a patch of maybe like, I think it's like four foot by six foot grass in the front. It would be kind of weird to, front, you know, like tent on the, the front part of my yard. And so I, we tented in the back, me and my boys. And it was a really good time. It was awesome because I could blow the arrow bed up inside, drag it out the door. And we were just there one night. The tent stayed for a couple nights because I was feeling lazy. But we, we only slept in the thing for, for one night. It's a temporary place. And so, listen, our tent, we're going to wrestle while we're in this tent with, with our emotions. We're going to wrestle like crazy with our emotions. And in a culture that tells us, if you feel this, you must do this. If you have this kind of attraction, you must act upon it. That's what our culture tells us. It's not true, right? And so, just because you don't feel like being a Christian that morning doesn't mean you're not going to be a Christian, right? I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. I'm right there, even when you're not as faithful as you, you should be. And so, I'm telling you, we've got to press into God when it's, it's really, really challenging. And what we have to do is we have to use that fraction of faith that we still have in that moment. Because there's going to be those moments where, God, are you there? But yet you're praying to him. Have you noticed that? <laughs> like, God, are you there right now? You must kind of believe it because you're talking to him right now, right? And so you take that fraction of faith, and with that fraction of faith that God in his grace has you believing, you press forward. And look what this psalmist does 
with that fraction of faith. Uh, First, let's read um, again um, verse 3. We'll call it A, the the first piece there. He says, remember he says God has rejected him. <laughs> so God, you don't, know, you don't care about me. You've dumped me. It's over, right? But yet he says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. So this is something that we need to do. And this is going to be a kind of a building prayer that we're going uh, to have to ask as we press into God. The first one is, God, lead me. Lead me. I know that my emotions are just up and down and all over the place. Lead me. Would you lead me? Uh, Particularly here, he says, send out your light and your truth and lead me. So in other words, as the fog rolls in, in whatever situation you're in, you can barely see, or your eyes are cloudy with tears and you can't even see things crisp, God, would you lead me in this moment? Lead me. Lead me. And, And shine light upon the truth, so that I don't run from you and believe a lie, but that I would see the truth, that you would shine light on it. Lord, lead me there. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says to the church there uh, that they have had the eyes of their heart enlightened, right? That God has put light upon what they couldn't see, and, and particularly in their own heart, he, he's enlightened the eyes of their heart. That's why we sing songs like, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It's from Scripture, right? And so we need God to lead us and, and shine uh, light on, on the truth so that we can see. The next thing, look at verse 3, the second half, 3b. We need to ask God to lead us to the gospel. So not, don't just lead us, but lead us to the gospel. And the gospel is good news, right? Lead us to uh, the gospel, particularly the gospel. Look at 3b. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Into your dwelling. We'll take 4A um, as well. Then I will go to the altar of God. And so not only do we need God to lead us, but we need God to lead us to the gospel, right? That, that God's truth is the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus. And so for them, and, and this psalmist in particular, here he's saying, God, Lead me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So, so maybe uh, through this truth, as we seek to imagine where the psalmist is at, maybe we can uh, imagine that he's in probably in some kind of position where he can't get to Jerusalem. He can't get to the temple. And he's saying, God, I just want to be there. Lead me uh, to your holy hill. He could be just speaking just figuratively, like, God, I, I want to be where you're at. I want to be in your presence. I want to be at your your altar, right, where you atone for my, my sin, right? For us today on this side of the cross, as he says, lead me to the holy hill, to your presence, to the altar, we're talking about lead us to Jesus, who is our altar, where, where the ultimate and final payment of sin has been, been paid. God, lead us to that. Lead us to the gospel. Lead us to Jesus. Lead me to truth, particularly the truth that Jesus has done for me. What all the animal sacrifices of old couldn't do. Jesus has done for me what what no other friend can do or family member can do. That he died for my sin. Lead me to that truth so that in the middle of my confusion, in the middle of my emotion, in the middle of my wishy-washiness, make up words every now and again, in the middle of that, I can see that Jesus is good and he has saved me and he is the God of my salvation as the very last line of this psalm says. So God, let him lead you. Let him lead you to the gospel. 
And then next, look at verse 4a. Ask God to lead you to the gospel resulting in joy. Let him lead you to the gospel which will result in joy, in, in true joy. Look at 4a. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. See, joy overflows when you can be in the presence of the Lord. Joy is just the natural result when you fully get what Jesus has done for you. And so he's saying, in the midst of all this confusion, I want to have joy in the truth that you have paid the price for my sin. That's what we call that peace that passes all understanding. Where people can look at you and be like, man, life stinks right now. And you can still say amen to that. It stinks. But I have joy in Jesus. People can look at you and be like, what is up? You have every reason to be miserable. But you're not. See, so many Christians, when we're miserable, we're miserable. But we should not be miserable. We should have this deep-rooted joy, right? Now, ask God to lead you. Ask God to lead you to the gospel. Ask God to lead you to the gospel that results in this settling joy that's deep in your heart. But then finally, 4B, ask God to lead you to the gospel resulting in joy and the result of joy overflowing praise. Look at that last piece of um, 4. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He's anticipating in his prayer, God, it's going to come. I'm going to be able to praise you again. I'm going to be able to sing your praises in the midst of this. He's praying for these things as he's pressing into God. God, right now it is so hard for me to come to church and to worship you. It is so hard for me in the midst of this pain, but God, bring me to your presence. May I be reminded of the gospel. You lead me. And I'll get to that place where I have deep-rooted joy, and then just out of that, I'm just going to worship you. That should be our prayer. Like he praises, he presses in. So we've been looking at the appropriate response to a split soul. An appropriate response when we're feeling like God has forsaken us, but we still have enough faith to know that God hasn't forsaken us, and so I can still press in to him. He kind of feels this way, um, but he's not going to let his emotions master him, and he keeps pressing into God, and he's praying, God, lead me to the gospel that results in joy and, and, and pray. It's a beautiful example of the first thing that he does is that he presses in to God. But finally, I want to just with this last verse show us um, our kind of the last response to a split soul, and that's this. First, we, we press into God, and then the next one is we preach to self. We've got to preach to ourselves. Have you ever preached to yourself? I don't know if you're picturing yourself um, practicing a sermon like I do from time to time, um, standing in front of your mirror, and you're preaching to yourself. And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is reminding yourself regularly of the truths of God, even when your emotions aren't really reflecting that you really believe those, those truths. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Isn't this a interesting kind of picture of just a, a, a split soul. There's kind of some c- conflict going on in his, in his heart here. What's he doing here? It's like he's talking to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones was this, uh, he's this longtime pastor of the Westminster Chapel in London, and he points out um, the need to, to, to preach to self. It's important that we, we preach to our, our, ourselves, right? 
See, if we don't talk to self, self is going to talk to us every day, every day. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones, he kind of has this goofy line. He says, we need to say to self, we need to sit self down and say, self, listen for a moment. Let me speak to you. It's kind of this goofy uh, picture. But this is, isn't this what he's doing here? Why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Soul, hope in God. He's talking to himself. It's an incredible picture of reminding himself that my hope is in God. That though I'm like being beat up by my enemies, maybe physically or maybe just emotionally, we know they're being deceitful about him and towards him. Your hope is in God, right? And he is my salvation. He is the one who, who saves me. And so preach those truths over and over and over to yourself. I have a, one way that I preach to myself is my alarm on my phone. Uh, when it wakes me up every morning, it doesn't say wakey-wakey or something like that. It just it shows up on my phone. It says the gospel. So that every morning I wake up to, oh, yes, I'm not going to try to attain righteousness today. I'm going to trust in Jesus. He did what I couldn't do. Every morning, the gospel just kind of a a quirky little way that I preach to myself every day. Maybe for you, preaching yourself means you should be in the Bible every day. All the way back to Psalm 1, when we open this thing up, what are we supposed to do day and night? We're supposed to meditate on the law of the Lord, preach to ourselves, let the Bible preach to us, right? So that we're not deceived and run from God, we should be running to God, meditate on it night and, and, and day. Preach to ourselves, it's essential for your survival that you get the truths of God before you constantly. I feel like he's not here. No, he is here. It's right here, soul. You've got to know this. Think back to your, 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 your last year. Think back to your five years ago. Think back to last week. You've seen him prove himself faithful time and time again. Think back to the examples of his faithfulness in the word. He is there even though you feel like he's rejected you. Self, do you hear this? He's there. That's why we memorize scripture. That's why we journal when God does something really cool in our lives so that we don't forget about it. That's why we share testimonies. We've had times where we come up here and people will share a testimony about what God's done so that later on we can be now, I remember what God did in his life when he was in that situation. Or so that when the person who's sharing the testimony, maybe a year down the road, is struggling and starts to go astray from the Lord, we can grab them by the collar and say, come back. Let me remind you of what you said. Preaching to self. And, and, and particularly preaching the truth of the gospel. But you can't do this without Jesus. So, we looked at the split soul. Some of us in here are right in the middle of a split soul right now. Others of us in here, you're going to probably struggle with a split soul at some point. And in those moments, press into God. Keep pressing into God. Don't believe the lie. And, and, and keep preaching to self. Get that truth in front of you. Make very practical commitments so that the truth of God is always in front of you. The way my wife and I do that, another way, as we say, we are not missing church, period. Like there's a, a million excuses, and some of them maybe are legitimate. But we just, we're just not going to miss church. Vacation, we're going to make every effort to go to church, right? Because you let a little excuse come in, and then there's always something. It just grows. Like we want 
to preach to ourselves. And so press into God, preach to self, let it lead you to truth, the truth that is, is, is so close but so far away at times in our, our lives. And so I want to close this out maybe by just giving us some time to respond. And there's maybe all kinds of things that we personally need to respond to. Maybe you're at a place right now where you, you're, you were close to God and now you're distant from God. Maybe you're at a place right now where it's, those, those emotions are happening simultaneously. God, I know you're there, but I don't, I don't know that you're there. I'm struggling a little bit. Maybe you just need to really talk to God and say, God, uh, help me when those, those moments come. Because listen, they're going to come. It's not always going to make sense. It's going to get hard. Life gets really tough. And, and Christians, uh, scriptures say that in this world, you will have tribulation. It will get hard, so be ready for it. And, and maybe others of us right now, we, we, we never really even place faith in Jesus alone. Trusted in what he did on the cross. And maybe that's what you need to do in this moment. You say yes to Jesus. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will turn from my sin and myself and turn and trust you and what you've done on the cross by nailing my sins to the cross. Because of your perfection, only you could do that. You died as my substitution. You resurrected a life and you sit at the right hand of the Father, reigning supreme as King. God, Jesus, be King of my life. Some of you need to do that foundational. That is the first thing that you do. Whatever you need to do in this moment, can, can we just take some time in, in silence before we sing and respond uh, just in prayer. So take a moment to close your eyes and just think on the Lord. Again, maybe you need to confess to him that you've been running from and not to him. Maybe right now you need to just start pressing into him. Let God lead you to the gospel resulting in joy and praise. Or you can praise him again. Maybe right now, in just a minute as we sing the truths of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, you need to hear those and let those be preached to you in song. And be reminded of those. And then you do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And again, some of us maybe just need to call out to him right now say yes to Jesus. Take a moment and then we'll sing. Father, maybe in the, the quietness of this moment, you're bringing to people's minds the reality of their situation. God, I pray that they would respond accordingly to your truth. So I commit them to you. May people come to Jesus. May people come back to Jesus. May people be prepared for the times when they struggle and, and, and wonder if you're there. But Lord, do your work in our hearts. And as we sing this song and reflect on your truths, would you just allow these truths to sit with us, lead us into truth tomorrow and the next day and throughout the course of this week, the rest of our summer and our year, God, do what only you can do. Enlighten our eyes to truth. We 
might see the gospel, be deep rooted in joy and praise you. The remainder of our, our gathering, Lord, be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.